All right, so tonight's uh, reading is from Isaiah 53, if you want to follow along. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from, from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you tonight. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Soul Revival Church and it's uh, my very great privilege to uh, be able to spend a little bit of time looking at that wonderful part of God's Word. Um, is that coming through okay or are you sort of ringing out a little bit here? Sounding okay? Very good. Well, have you ever heard the statement, truth is stranger than fiction? Heard of that? Things that really have happened are often more outrageous than the wildest stories we can imagine. You see, uh, fictional stories, they're often moulded to what the public wants, to hear uh, what they want to believe. They're made for mass consumption. True stories, though, well, 
they're not into, not made up for the public. They just happen. Incredible situations like these. Got a picture here on the screen. In 1923, jockey Frank Hayes won a race at Belmont Park in New York, despite being dead. He suffered a heart attack in the middle of the race, but his body stayed in the saddle until his horse crossed the line as an unlikely 20 to 1 outsider winner. Strange, but true. Um, here's another one. The world's deepest postbox is in Susami Bay in Japan, 10 metres below water. Strange but true. Do you know what's even stranger? It's not the only underwater post box that's working in the world. There's more. Okay, another one. Um, it actually costs the US almost twi twice as much to make the penny and the nickel as the coins are actually worth. Last year alone, US taxpayers paid $100 million just by these coins being made. Lastly, here's a bit of our Mexican history for you. Um, General Antonio Lopez Santa Ana was injured in war and had his leg amputated. Now later, Santa Ana became the president of Mexico. He ordered a full military funeral for his leg. <laughs> and the leg was paraded through Mexico City and serenaded with poem and song. Strange, but true. Now, over the last few weeks, um, we've been making our way through Isaiah's prophecy. And I think, if you're anything like me, you might have been struck by the vastly contrasting pictures, pictures of judgment, but also pictures of salvation. On the one hand, we have this wondrous picture of salvation that we see coming up now and then, little glimpses of it. Pictures of all the nations being at peace and coming together to worship God. Um, wonderful pictures of incredible banquets, banquets of all the finest food at the end of the age, um, where there will be no more crying or pain, where even death is promised to be swallowed up. But alongside that, we've also waded through chapter upon chapter of a sad reality, a reality of a proud and rebellious people, a people who are corrupt, greedy, violent. They had rejected the true and living God by following religions and idols of their own making. And so we actually get the images of the frightening outpouring of God's wrath against those that rebel against him. And so the question that actually comes right through, I think, the first half of Isaiah is actually how are these contrasting realities going to be brought together? I mean, how can the sin of the people be overcome so that, that wonderful promise of blessing can actually flow through. How's God going to bring about his great vision of eternal salvation? And we're going to see that today, at the centre of this vision, at the centre of this plan, there is a person who stands at the heart of that. Well, what sort of person are they going to be now think about it. Now I know you guys, you've got the whole story. You've read the end of the book. 
Imagine if you, can, if you can just put that to one side. Imagine you're just one of the listeners in Isaiah's day. What sort of person would you picture that would bring about God's plan? Would you be looking forward to the final age, thinking, who's going to bring that in? What sort of person would you dream up? Who would you have to start the beginning of the end? Now, if it was up to me, I'd make it a pretty big event. I'd make it pretty special. I'd be thinking, I want a, a really impressive person. And when this happens, everyone's going to know about it. You know, those cosmic battles at the end of Avengers movies, they'll just be a small picnic compared to what I reckon God's ambassador needs to come to. When we bring about his processes, his plan. Now, I don't know, that, that's not outrageous, is it? I mean, we're talking about God here. We're talking about his process, his, his vision, his plan for the world. That's reasonable. But if we think like this, and then we look into the description of God's ambassador, we'll often actually be shocked and surprised. For how God brings about his purposes actually going to be more amazing than any scenario we could possibly imagine. You see, the much-anticipated figure in Isaiah is actually described in very surprising terms. And God's truth is indeed stranger than fiction. Well, how does Isaiah describe the person in God's vision? Well, before we do that, why don't we actually stop now and pray that God would help us to understand his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your word. We thank you that we have the freedom to gather together in your name, that we can come together and read your word. And so, Lord, as we hear your word spoken to us tonight, we do pray you would help us to be hearers of it, uh, and then it would go beyond our ears and go deep into our hearts and minds so that we might be changed into your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we mentioning in the opening chapters of Isaiah, we get a cold dose of reality. Straight away, we're introduced to a very rebellious and evil people, boldly sinning before God. And we see judgment is actually imminent. But then again, in that environment, we see these little glimpses of salvation, like, like little rays of sunlight poking through the dark clouds. And we start to see a people that actually discovered it in a holy city. Their sin has been washed away. Their God is there enfolding them and protecting his people. And at the head of this picture stands God's person. And here's how he's described in the opening chapters of, of Isaiah here, chapter 4 on the screen, chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The branch of the Lord. Now, what's that all about? Well, as we read on a little bit further in chapter 11, we'll see it unpacked a little bit more. Here's chapter 11 on the screen. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So we have here the branch is being filled out, the details are being filled out a little bit more. It's actually a person. 
a person descended from Jesse. Jesse is actually the, the father of King David. So we see here now a lineage, a history, a background of, of who this person is and he will have the spirit of God upon him. He'll be a powerful ruler, a just ruler and bring about peace. And that peace won't actually just stop at Jerusalem. If you read on to chapter 11, it talks about this peace spreading to the ends of the earth. And so we see God here working through this one, bringing about his plan of salvation. We see a mighty ruler. And elsewhere we see this character described um, even more. In chapter 7, verse 14, we have that famous passage about talking about a child uh, is going to be born. His name's going to be Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel meaning God with us. And also in chapter 9, we see more about this child, that he'll be a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So when we think about this, you think, well, what's so surprising about that? That's the sort of character we'd, we would have dreaming up from the beginning. A powerful character, a king, a mighty king. These are things we would think are appropriate for bringing in God's vision. But we haven't seen the full portrait of the branch yet. And so we come to the passage that we read tonight. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 3 here on the screen. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. So right from the outset we can actually hear the echo again from chapter 11. Um, the shoot that grows up out of the ground, but that's, about as, that's where the similarity ends, right from the outset. So this shoot doesn't grow up to become glorious and powerful. This one's described as fragile, unattractive, despised, rejected, one who suffers. Now that's unexpected. Rest assured it's actually describing the same person from chapter 11, but the one at the centre of bringing about God's purposes is described as one who suffers. Later we see him as being oppressed, crushed, killed violently. The picture seems so right before but now it seems so wrong. The one at the centre of God's plan is barely recognisable, they say. Now, in the second half of Isaiah, we, we don't actually hear much about the branch of the Lord again. We don't hear much about the mighty king, the ruler that will reign over the world. We see that the centre of God's purposes is now the servant. From chapter 40 onwards, we see him explained more and more. In chapter four, 42, we're introduced to a figure who is God's chosen one and God's spirit will rest upon him. God delights in the servant. And even though the servant appears as a, a, gentile, a gentle figure, his ministry will expand to the ends of the earth. The servant's ministry will achieve righteousness and justice. But now... His work has actually achieved a different way and there's a very sombre tone, almost 
depressing tone. The servant himself, Elmer, speaks of his disappointment, persecution and suffering as he brings about God's purposes. So we see the person here at the heart of God's vision has a double character. On the one hand we see this mighty king, but on the other hand we see a humble character, persecuted and afflicted. He will suffer and be slaughtered like a defenceless lamb. It's an unnerving picture. It's the sort of thing that you turn away from. It's an ugly picture of death. In the end, it becomes unrecognisable. The suffering actually is so bad that you need to turn away. Have you found yourself in a situation where it's a situation, an image is just so bad what's unfolding before you that you can't look, that you turn away? That's what's going on here. And this is God's chosen one. But then, as we read on in chapter 53, we see this suffering actually in a, in a different light. Have a look at verses 4 and 5 here on the screen again. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Now this person is not actually suffering the punishment of a common criminal. He's not suffering the sins of his own crime. He's actually suffering for somebody else's wrongdoings, somebody else's sin. He's being struck down by God in somebody else's place. Now, can you feel the tension here? I mean, it's saying that we now have peace with God, we are healed by his wounds, but we should be there. We're the ones who deserve the punishment. Yes, now we can have peace with God, but it's come at the expense of an innocent man. But this innocent man will not go to the grave as another victim of injustice. No, because like I've been saying, this one is the one standing at the heart of God's plan. He is the faithful servant of the Lord and now he'll be raised to great honour. And so the final picture in chapter 53 is one of victory. Have a look at verses 10 and 11 here on the screen with me. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. Well, so again, if all you had was the book of Isaiah in front of you, you'd be thinking, well, who is this person? We actually see this whole thing acted out in the early church in Acts, where an Ethiopian man is sitting there reading this prophecy and he doesn't know what, what it means. And then suddenly one of the disciples appears and he's able to explain it to him. So again, who is this servant? How is it all going to happen? I can imagine the Israelites in the time of Isaiah, they could say, well, 
yeah, I can sort of understand the way it would all unfold if God's person was the mighty king. I can see how that unfolds. I can see how that works. But this suffering servant guy, I'm not sure how it's going to unfold. I'm not sure what it, uh, what it means. I think a lot of them would have put it in a too hard basket and just left it there. A little over 700 years after Isaiah had written, it was a day like any other day in the synagogue at Nazareth. Everyone had settled down and people were taking turns uh, at reading from the scriptures and teaching from them. Then uh, a nondescript man stood up, picked up a scroll from the prophet Isaiah and then began to read this on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of slight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that moment? Who is this guy? They were the closing words of the servant from chapter 61 in Isaiah. And here is this guy saying, that promise is now fulfilled in your hearing. Who was reading it out? Well, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Who was an innocent man, yet was executed on trumped-up charge. And as a sheep, before its shearers were silent, he did not open his mouth. He was silent before his accusers. He was whipped and beaten by the soldiers, despised and rejected by the crowds. They called for his crucifixion. They mocked him on the cross. The cross, what a shameful and horrific way to die. An ugly sight that you need to turn away from. This man clearly was the servant of Isaiah. In Jesus we see that fulfilment of the promise of chapter 53. See, it was Jesus, as we've sung earlier today, who was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds we are healed. He bore your sin. He bore my sin. And through his suffering, he's brought us peace with God. You see, at the cross we see God's unexpected work. His strange but true work. Here is how he'll bring about his wonderful picture of salvation. See, how is it that the vast multitudes of the world will be able to come and stand with God at that wondrous banquet? How is it that pain and tears will be wiped away? How is it that death can be swallowed up forever? 
How is it that the multitudes can be made holy enough to stand in the presence of a holy God? How is it that you and I, wretched people that we are, stand and be made right with God? It's through the sacrifice of the faithful servant of God. The faithful servant, Jesus Christ. Through that one final and perfect sacrifice, the wrath of God is turned away from us and put onto the shoulders of the servant, God's son, Jesus Christ. Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion, for our sin. Jesus hung on the cross and the innocent died in the place of the guilty. And by his death, we can pass safely into the presence of God. At the centre of God's plan stands a person. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ and there is no way you can avoid him, friends. No way. There is no alternative route to God. There's no other, no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. That name is Jesus Christ and he is the one standing at the heart of God's plan for the universe. And if we're not saved by him, then we'll be judged by him. But it's obviously why face the awful picture of Jesus as being your judge when right now you have the opportunity to accept him as your saviour. Jesus invites us to come to be with him, to be with him and rest. The answer is obvious, isn't it, friends? I mean, it is, why not put your trust in the servant of the Lord right now? As I close in prayer, I'm going to pray to that end. Simple prayer. Three points. Firstly, admitting that we need his help, that we are indeed sinners, rebellious, and living our lives without him. Secondly, I'm going to give thanks to God. Thanks for his amazing love, for allowing Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve. And thirdly, I'm going to pray that God would keep changing us to help us to keep walking with Jesus all the days of our life. So would you close in prayer with me? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we admit that we've lived our lives without you. So often we reject you. Father, we are sorry for that. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that you have sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing love. And Lord, we do pray that you would please help us to live our lives now with you 
in a true and living relationship. Please help us to walk daily with you, to obey you and live with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.